0: All right, our gospel text this morning is from John chapter 6, verses 25 to 35. Uh, this story in the gospel of John follows immediately after one of Jesus' uh, miraculous feeding of the multitudes story. So, I invite you to listen for the word God wants to speak uh, to you today. When the crowds found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I have a bonus text for you this morning, because sometimes late in the week after the bulletin is put to bed and the slides are all sent in, the preacher thinks of something else that they would have liked to focus on. So uh, I read you a couple verses from Proverbs 30 as well. Proverbs 30, verses seven to nine. This is known as the prayer of Agur. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not deny them to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that I need or I shall be full and deny you, and say, who is the Lord? Or I shall be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. I begin with you this morning with two character studies. Um, Picture this, if you will. A young woman, stylish and smart looking, But weary and worn out. Picture her getting home late again. She pulls up in the dark. Again, she has missed dinner and bedtime routines with her kids. She slips in quietly, not wanting to wake them. Weighed down by the cares of her community and by a dwindling congregation, this beleaguered pastor works with ever-shrinking budgets and resources. She's uh, going through the motions of Thanksgiving, but her heart isn't in it. She doesn't really have time for the holiday. she tells herself. There's so much work to do. So many things that won't get done if she isn't the one to do them. The boogeyman that haunts her Who will provide if she doesn't? Who will care for the congregation? Who will advocate for the community if not her? And so she carries on, nose to the grindstone, exhausted, anxious, and frightened, until a moment of grace, a transforming moment in prayer, she hears words that are uh, freeing, words that make her look up, for the first time in a long time. Words that that touch her heart, reminding her of the grace and joy she experienced when younger. Uh, Grace that led her into ministry in the first place. And she discovers joy once again, reminded that it is God, not me who provides for this congregation. It is God who cares for the community, not the pastor. I am part of that caring, but only at God's behest. And she uh, internalizes these words and hears them anew, knowing that they have always been and always will be true. A voice whispers, God sees you, God loves you, God will take care of you. And her eyes are opened to see the gifts of God again and her heart overflows with thanksgiving. She continues in that same demanding ministry, but with a a new freedom and lightness and confidence that is rooted in the faithfulness and steadfast goodness of God. Or take this uh, successful gentleman driving by in his luxury car, he clearly has it made. You know his family. You knew him back when, when he was just a child. Before he became a wunderkind investor, banker, you knew him back when he went to church with his family every Sunday, back when he hated to miss youth group, when he loved Sunday morning worship and the midweek uh, fellowship meeting, back when he would volunteer his time. Well, back when his time was less valuable and more available, He certainly doesn't have time for volunteering anymore. He's too busy trying to get naming rights for the new addition over at the hospital, too busy securing his legacy with donations and philanthropy, too busy uh, busy doing things that will make him look good. After all, shouldn't he be recognized and lauded for his talent and ability? After all, haven't they brought him this far? talent and ability, haven't they brought him every success? One thing surprises him though. He always thought with all this stuff, all this success, all this esteem, he always thought he'd be happier. Not as anxious or lonely or isolated. And then one night his presence is required at a church service where he is being recognized for his philanthropy. He's there out of obligation, but a funny thing happens. Before his award is presented, he sits through and is surprised by joyful, heartfelt praise, and something touches his heart, reigniting the joy and passion for life that he had way back when, and he is moved, and he realizes these truths. It is God who has provided these opportunities and success and not he himself. It is God who has given the blessing and he, he's been fortunate enough to be in the right places at the right times and he internalizes these facts. This reality realizing again, for even though they have always been and always will be true, he hears these words brand new. God sees you, God loves you, God takes care of you. And his eyes are open to the gifts of God and his heart is full of thanksgiving. Increasingly, uh, science and the secular world are discovering that gratitude and a discipline of thankfulness are good for us as individuals and as a society. Thanksgiving is the lubricant that greases social interaction Gratitude can be a source of joy, even in the midst of difficult and trying times. And here we are, the church that knows and witnesses to the grace of Yahweh, the good news of Jesus Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. If anyone has reason to give thanks, it should be us, right? But then why does it seem so often that it takes an angel or, or an epiphany like uh, the one these two characters have had, or some other inbreaking of grace to remind us to be thankful. We only need to go to the movies, for example. The holiday season is coming, and I'm thinking of a couple holiday classics where an outside agent, uh, a change agent, appears, and thankfulness and joy and gratitude are the miraculous result. Think of uh, a Christmas carol. Uh, or it's a wonderful life, or the bishop's wife, or it's modern remake, uh, a preacher's wife. Why does it seem that thanksgiving and gratitude are uh, extraordinary rather than part of our routine? The scripture text, the bonus one that I read this morning from Proverbs today suggests that there are, are two times in our lives when it's difficult to give thanks. The first is when we're happy and the other is when we're not. The first is when we live in abundance, when the riches and possessions uh, we have become burdens themselves, and we are filled with worry and fear, worry that we might lose what we have, that someone might take it from us. The other time it becomes challenging to give thanks is when we live in want and deprivation. Studies show that those who live in poverty exert an extreme amount of energy just to get by, day in and day out, uh, to survive and to manage the stress of trying to make ends meet. It's exhausting and it's hard to praise God when you're exhausted. This passage from Proverbs is the prayer of Agur, providing a nice balance to the prayer of Jabez, so popular a number of years ago. Do you remember the prayer of Jabez? Uh, Like the prayer of Agur, it comes from just a couple of verses in Scripture. Uh, 1 Chronicles 4, verses 9 to to 10. A couple of verses largely overlooked until Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book about 20 years ago, highlighting the uh, prosperity prayer of Jabez. Uh, the book was wildly popular because the prayer basically encouraged people uh, to pray for all they, already, what they already wanted. More stuff, more wealth, more prosperity. Uh, and the, the verses, this is what they say, And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain so God granted him what he requested. Now, the bless me Lord, enlarge my territory, uh, that part got a lot more focus than the keep me from evil that I may cause pain part of the prayer. The prayer of Agur from Proverbs has not gained the same kind of wild popularity yet or sold a bestseller book but it offers uh, much-needed balance. Uh, praying for what we need notice the difference between the two prayers Jabez prays for what he wants Agur prays for what he needs Uh, make me neither wealthy nor hungry he says Uh, Agur prays uh, that he would not know either extreme Uh, he knows that either extreme are likely to cause one to forget about God in other words unless we are intentional and disciplined it's easy to lose sight Uh, to lose the the spirit of gratitude and thanks, and we careen from one ditch to the other. On the one hand, taking uh, for granted all that we have, feeling like we have earned it, that we alone are responsible for the good in our lives. On the other hand, feeling sorry for ourselves, focusing on what is painful or what is lacking, uh, what is hard or what is difficult. When Israel wandered in the wilderness, anxious about where their next meal would come from, they grumbled and complained, and it was hard to be thankful. When they came to live into God's promises in the land of milk and honey and plenty, and when they accumulated wealth, they again forget that these were the promises and the gifts of God, and again, it becomes hard to be thankful. Here's the good news, though. We don't have to careen between despair on one hand and forgetfulness on the other. We don't need an angel or a dictate to make us thankful. We have each other. God has created uh, the church, a community of thanksgiving, and we come together each week to give thanks to God in our praise and our worship. We come, when life is hard, to say thank you because we know that God cares and ultimately holds all things together. We know that the pain and loss will not last forever. We come to hear our brothers and sisters say their thanks and bring their praise when our own voices are silenced by grief and doubt. We come because we long to hear those words again. God sees you, God loves you, God will take care of you. We come when life is good, too, and we are puffed up by our own success and achievements. We come to bring our praise and to say thanks in order to uh, appreciate what we have and to, to not take it for granted. We come to the community that will keep us humble and remind us that it is the Lord who is the source of every good thing and every good gift. We come to say thanks and to be reminded that while we have much, There are others who still have need we come when life is good because we still long to hear those words then too God sees you God loves you God will take care of you when it's difficult to give thanks either because of hardship or comfort we come together as a community of believers to worship and that discipline of showing up week after week, week in and week out, to say thank you to God opens our eyes and gives us a grateful spirit. And we find joy and perseverance, celebration and solidarity. Millions of families will gather this week around Thanksgiving tables. Whether they are used to saying a table grace or not, many of these families will pause before eating, maybe to go around the table and have each person share what they are thankful for. Yes, uh, even this year, with the remnants of a pandemic, with war in Ukraine, and news of violence and death uh, so common uh, on the news, I close this morning with an article that Anne Lamott wrote for Parade Magazine uh, for Thanksgiving a number of years ago, entitled Counting Our Blessings, Why We Say Grace. Uh, She says, "We we didn't say grace at our house when I was growing up because my parents were atheists. I knew even as a little girl that everyone at every table needed blessings and encouragement, but my family didn't ask for it. Instead, my parents raised a glass of wine to the chef. Cheers, dig in. But I had a terrible secret, which was that I believed in God a divine presence who heard me when I prayed, who stayed close to me in the dark. So at six years old, I began to infiltrate religious families like a spy, Matahari in plaid sneakers. One of my friends was a, a Catholic girl. Her boisterous family bowed its collective head and said, "'Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts,' I was so hungry for these words. It was like a cool breeze, a polite thank you note to God. The silky magnetic energy of gratitude. I still love that line. I believe that if your family said grace, it meant you were a happy family, all evidence to the contrary. But I saw at certain tables that an improvised grace could cause friction or discomfort. My friend Mark reports that at his big southern childhood thanksgivings, someone always managed to say something that made poor granny feel half dead. It would be along the lines of, and Lord, we are just glad you have seen fit to keep mama with us for one more year we would all strain to see Granny giving him the fish eye. <laughs> I noticed some families shortened the pro forma blessing so they could get right to the meal. If there were more males than females, it was a boy chant, said as one word. God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, amen. I also noted that grace usually wasn't said if the kids were eating in front of the TV as if God refused to listen over the sound of it. And we've all been held hostage by grace sayers who use the opportunity to to work the room like the church lady. But more often, people simply say, thank you. We understand how far short we must fall, how selfish we can be, how self-righteous, what brats and yet yet God has given us this marvelous meal. It turns out, she says, that my two brothers and I all grew up to be middle-aged believers. I've been a member of the same Presbyterian church for 27 years. My older brother became a born-again Christian, but don't ask him to give the blessing as it can last forever. I adore him, but your food will grow cold. My younger brother is an unconfirmed but freelance Catholic. So now, someone at our holiday tables always ends up saying grace. I think we're in it for the pause. The quiet thanks for love and for our blessings before the shoveling begins. For a minute, our stations are tuned to a broader, richer radius. We're acknowledging that this food didn't just magically appear. Someone grew it, ground it, bought it, baked it. Wow. We say thank you for the miracle that we have stuck together all these years in spite of it all, that we have each other's backs and hilarious companionship. We say thank you for the plentiful and outrageous food, uh, Kathy's locks, Robbie's bouche de Noel, We pray to be mindful of the needs of others. We savor these moments out of time when we are conscious of love's presence, of someone's great abiding generosity to our dear and motley family. These holy moments of gratitude. And that is grace. Thanks be to God. Amen.